Welcome to the Success IQ Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 87. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So we have got another great guest from you this week, all the way from Florida, Sarasota to be exact. I love that part of the world and remember having a few holidays there myself. So Jeremiah Smith is the co-founder and CEO of Simple Tiger, a boutique digital marketing agency that specializes in SEO for entrepreneurs. For 11 years, Jeremiah has helped companies like Segment.com, Shopify, NBC, MTV, and Sports Illustrated see significant gains in their search engine results, organic traffic, and revenue. During this time of growing Simple Tiger, Jeremiah has seen firsthand how clients have been unnecessarily burned by other agencies in the past or confused by misleading SEO strategies. And we're looking at the aim of this episode is to help you get a little bit more clarity, which I'm really looking forward to speak Jeremiah about. So it gives me the last great pleasure to just say, Jeremiah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Jeff. Well, you're in a beautiful part of the world, and I am so looking forward to having this conversation with you. So can you give us a little bit of a backstory and tell us what's brought you to this point today? Sure. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I got into search engine optimization about 12 years ago, uh, and I got into it as a complete accident. Um, I was originally building websites for clients, and uh, one of the clients I built a website for asked me if I could get it to show up in Google, and uh, I didn't know anything about it at that time. And so I looked into it and discovered this whole kind of underground industry of people uh, helping websites show up for certain keywords in Google. And so I immediately saw the value in that because I knew how I was using Google. I knew how everyone I knew was using Google. And I knew that it was a very trustworthy method of, of inbound traffic, people who are actively pursuing something already. And so I decided to start practicing it. So I helped one of my clients who I built their website for them. I told them, look, I'll do this for you for free because I'm going to be teaching myself. The caveat there is I'm teaching myself. I don't know how to do this yet, but I'm a very sharp guy, very fast learner. If you're willing to let me do it for free, I'm willing to do it for you. And if you get really successful, here's to you. And so, um, I was lucky enough, they let me do it and they let me have full control over the website and do SEO all I wanted. And in the span of about six months, I added about $2 million in additional revenue to their business from SEO and I was completely sold. So uh, that that started my whole uh, foray into search engine optimization. Wow. Wow. I was like expecting you to say a couple of hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or something. I wasn't expecting you to come up with a couple of million. Brilliant. Mm. Okay. So that must have given you... Um, like huge motivation and huge all sorts of things for you all of a sudden to go, okay, I can, I can see how this works. Absolutely. What then all of a sudden then drove you and inspired you to go, okay, we're going to, we're going to really step up the gear and concentrate. This is the, for your business. Yeah. So for my business at the time I was making, uh, compared to what I, I made doing SEO later, I was making peanuts building websites. And so uh, when I saw what kind of value I was able to establish for a client, I quickly realized that someone would pay me uh, 10% of that 
to do it for them. <laughs> and I would be very happy with that. And so uh, I, I quickly decided to update my resume and everything. Of course, I'm going to continue trying to do this as a contractor and everything. But I knew right away that even though I taught myself how to do this, I really wanted to get my get my feet wet with some big guys. I really wanted to play around with this industry and and work with some bigger companies. And so I updated my resume and I got a job at a big ad agency in Atlanta where I lived at the time. And working with that ad agency, I was able to work with a whole lot of really large brands and uh, continue doing SEO, but doing it the way a big agency does and see how agencies work and operate. And uh, that was extremely valuable to me, see how a company like that works. Yeah, I can imagine. So when you, because one of the things that keeps coming around, so in order for me to get clarity as well, people talk about content marketing, they talk about SEO, they talk about backlinking, they talk about all sorts of things. Are they all one and the same thing or are they all different things linked to the same goal? So SEO is the redheaded stepchild of marketing, really. Okay. Um, it is It is not like an ad agency. It's not like buying media. It is not like joint venture agreements to promote products. It is not like PR. It is not like content marketing. It is, it is not like any of those things. However, it is heavily impacted by all of those things I just named. And you can utilize all of those things to get different, uh, different types of results out of SEO. SEO is ultimately, if, we, if I'm being very honest and open about it, SEO is ultimately reverse engineering the intellectual property of another company so that you can gain value out of it. That other company I'm talking about is Google. We're reverse engineering their intellectual property and then we're telling you what you need to do in order to work with that intellectual property to gain value. And so it's it, keeping that in mind, what that means is that our target is going to move. So there have been times when people said title tags is all you need. There have been times when people said site structure is all you need or content is king or links are all you need. Nowadays, it's user engagement and getting people to actually engage on your website. And tomorrow, it's probably going to be something else. I don't know. Um, there was a time when it was all social media and that's kind of changed a little bit. Um, there are even times when ads really spike uh, your effectiveness in, in SEO. So all these things kind of cycle in and out as being valuable, but I can give you kind of the core structure of SEO to give you a, a good, broad understanding of SEO and what will likely always be in, important insofar as looking at search engines uh, and, and how we how we optimize them. Uh, that core structure is really the way we look at it, uh, and as our service uh, performs, we break it down into pretty much three major categories. We look at technical, we look at content, and we look at off-site factors. Technical looks at on-site factors that have everything to do with the structure and the code of your website, how it's built and how it operates. Think of a library full of information. The content in that library is what you're going after, which is the second subject that I mentioned there. The content is what you're looking for, but you can't find that content without some kind of a navigable system. And so, you know, we use, for example, the Dewey Decimal System was really popular for a very long period of time, and now we've got computer catalogs and stuff like that. But these systems are basically the 
the technical structure of your site that allows Google to quickly, easily navigate the whole library, find a single book in that, you know, 10 million book library, find one single book by one author, and then you can open that book and there's a table of contents. So you can find one sentence, one subject in that book or one word if you're using the index in that book. So you went from this library of 10 million books down to one single word that you're looking for um, using systems. Well, that's, that's the technical aspect of SEO. I want to make sure everything is set up in a way where robots can easily crawl all of that. Then we get into the content. Content is text, images, video, audio, like this podcast, things like that. The, the whole idea with content is users search the web for content. Even if they're looking for a product to buy on Amazon, they're not going to buy that product without first consuming content about that product. The content might be product images. The content might be product description, sizes and dimensions of the product, reviews on the product, pricing on the product, comparisons between that and other products. That's all content. So people are going to look for that content next and they want, they want to get their answers met by that content. And then finally, we do have this, this whole category that I like to call offsite because it incorporates more than just links, but broadly within offsite, the biggest, biggest category is pretty much links, uh, in, in the offsite category. Now links are, uh, basically votes. This is the old definition of link building, but they're basically votes from more relevant resources that that your resource, your piece of content is valuable and does contain the information in it that you're looking for. Uh, relevance is key with links. Uh, authority is also important with links. Authority comes from uh, establishing links to that resource itself. So if, if someone is linking to you, they the PageRank algorithm goes that uh, if someone is linking to you, in order for that link to be of any value, several people in relevant industries or on relevant sites with authority on their own need to be linking to them in order for their link to you to actually matter and so on and so forth. And so there is this kind of uh, algorithmic effect that takes place with the way people link to each other and adding value there. So that's really, that's really SEO in a nutshell. Uh, and, and like I said, the target's always moving. Some more things are moving to the top of the stack of what's most important. For a long time, link building has been the most important thing. For easily over a decade, building good quality links has been the most important thing. Lately, SEMrush just put out a report that showed that user engagement on your site is actually beginning to trump link building and, and link effects and having good quality links on your site. So if you get a bunch of good links pointing to your site, but then when people get there, they're having a difficult time navigating it or using it or engaging with it, uh, it's, it's going to hurt you actually yeah. in the rankings. Yeah. It, there's so much to concentrate on, isn't there? Because it's like there's, um, you know, it's, so it's with the, with the links. So for example, is, is if you've got someone, which some of the listeners are the brand that, you know, they've just started their business where do you go to create or to get links? You know, is there because obviously you don't want to go to sites which are going to damage you because that's mm -hmm. probably the last thing you want to do. And I know there's right. people, you know, there's companies out there that'll go, I'll get you a thousand links to your website. And the chances are Google are just going to go, well, we just don't like your website because of that <laughs> or whatever right. it's going to be. How do people create those links? in order to start generating that sort of credibility for their for their websites sure so we've done some analysis um uh, quite a few um 
uh, backlink analyses for clients, which is where we look at a client and we look at their backlinks pointing to their site. And then we look at some of their competitors and we look at the backlinks pointing to those sites. And over time, we've pretty much discovered that uh, for any single given keyword phrase that is longer than probably two to three keywords within the phrase, um, it doesn't take that many links on a single page to get that page to rank well for that keyword on average. Now, this is a very broad, very general statement I'm making here because some for some keywords, um, you know, it's going to be extremely competitive and then others not so competitive at all. But on average, we find that it's not a staggering amount of work to build a few links to a single page. The key is understanding the reality of what the situation is going to look like when you actually get to work on on doing the whole effort. So how we typically look at it and what I what I recommend anyone who's trying to build links to their site and, and perform well in search do is focus first on finding out what kind of content is missing in the search results for keywords that you want to go after, keywords you want to rank for. So what kind of information is there that that there uh, that is currently ranking? What I like to do right away is I search that keyword and then I look at the top 10 results and I quickly skim those pages and see how much how many uh, words are on each one of those pages. First of all, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes, uh, some of the results might have 500 words. Some of the results might have 2,500 words and we find an interesting mix of those. Um, some of them may really focus narrowly on one subject while another piece of content covers a broad range of, of subtopics within that keyword subject. And so it's more of like a compendium or an encyclopedia on that subject. Whereas the other one was more of a surgical, here's how to to answer this one equation type of problem, right? So, um, you know, depending on the keyword keyword search that you're performing, I'd perform that analysis first and find out what kind of content there is. And then you, if you're smart about your industry, if you know your industry really well, you might be able to quickly say, it doesn't seem like anybody's covering this and this point, or maybe they're covering them, but not as well as I'd like to, or they're not using the metaphors I want, or they're not going into stories that I'd like to cover. So then take that and produce a nice piece of content for your own domain and cover all the subjects you need to. Uh, Brian Dean did a really good uh, example of a, a link building technique that's very powerful. It's it's a content marketing slash link building technique uh, called the skyscraper technique. And a lot of people have heard of this. And I think it's, it's one way of going about this. It can be somewhat spammy if you aren't genuine about it. So keep in mind, you definitely want to be genuine about all this because at the end of the day, you're trying to talk to people and Google is trying to get smart enough to know how well you're talking to people. And so you're not trying to fool Google anymore. You're trying to fool people. If you can fool people into providing value, then you're good. Google will follow you, right? So, um, so make sure that you're keeping it genuine. But the skyscraper technique is where you... For example, go back to those 10 results, read all the content on all of them, and try to combine all 10 results worth of content or 15, 20 results worth of content into one piece of content and do it in such a big, beautiful, organized, artful way that that's the only article anyone actually needs to read on that keyword subject. And so once you've built this piece of content, it might be 2,500 to 5,000 words by the time you're done with it, a huge compendium of content. Once you're done with that, then you can actually start your link building effort. And it's so much easier to build, uh, build links to a piece of content that provides that much value because people see that, oh, this is obviously the only thing I need to point to. I'm going to link to it on my blog. I'm going to link to it on my site. I'll mention it on Twitter, things like that. And they're much more likely to link to it. Wow. Okay. You can breathe now. 
Yeah, you can take. <laughs> Sorry, a break. I, get, okay. I get long-winded. On Gosh, this and I really <laughs> no, that that's fantastic. Right, okay. Well, I know, I know a hell of a lot more than I did when I first started speaking to you. Okay, yeah. so one of the things that then I suppose is then we now look at the way technology is introducing to how we search as well, because then we talk about how voice searching jumps into that and how we. I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw something about how people are searching or there's more people searching for, I think Gary Vaynerchuk said something the other day about how many people are actually making searches using the, the voice searching facilities. Um, how does, how does that then alter? Does that then just, inc- does that then just bolt onto SEO or does that become a whole nother feature of SEO? It bolts on to it, it actually I'm gonna give you the worst answer in the world. It does both. It both bolts on to SEO in one way, and then it becomes an additional uh, external feature to SEO in another way, a way that a way that SEO is going to have to evolve in order to deal with. Um, which is fine because SEO is always evolving. It is a reverse engineering technology. So we're always going to have to, whatever they throw at us, we're going to have to reverse engineer it or we're not doing search engine optimization anymore. So what uh, what I think about uh, the, the advent of voice search really is it's, if we think about inputs as a user, when I go to a search bar and I type in to a search bar question, I'm doing that on a keyboard and I'm using a monitor to verify that what I'm searching for is what I'm what I'm actually looking for. Um, you know, what I type in is, is actually generating the search result that I want. Uh, when people use their voice, they're doing the same thing. They're still searching. Um, but then the results are typically going to be tailored for a voice experience, you know, on, on a mobile device, for example, if I use my, my iPhone and I were to uh, ask Siri to go ahead and Google something for me or, or to search something for me, she's right now an awful search tool and awful assistant. She's going to tell me to unlock my iPhone or something frustrating like that. And then she's going to give me these results and they're going to be semi relevant to what I'm looking for. But really what I'm getting at is that it's just a way of inputting my search. And then she's going to come back with a list of results. Now, if you're a a Samsung device or some kind of Google phone, um, your results are going to be much more clean when you're searching Google because they built it for that environment. But again, people who are using voice search are really searching for a certain type of result. Very rarely are they going to be searching for what is the best way for me to analyze my gross profit margins for my marketing agency. I'm not going to do that via voice search or the people that do that are going to be very rare. The ones who really want to know are, hey, what was the score to the Golden State Warriors game last night? So there's no commercial value to that to that question, uh, except for maybe the NBA, maybe ESPN, sites like that. And so those, those sites have to get on board with providing rich data, such as the score to the game and having it uh, wrapped in some kind of schema markup so that Google can quickly deduce that that was the actual score to the game. And then come back to you and say the score was 97 to 28 or whatever, you know? So, so we have to keep in mind the commercial intent behind the voice search keywords and how, how much value that actually is to businesses. Uh, you know, if people are saying what is the square root of 144 or how many cups are in a gallon or something like that, there's very little commercial intent to those kind of keywords. So the value there is not lost on people who are doing SEO. But then I suppose is you've also got like in the press recently the way 
well, certainly the one that's been advertised the most is like Alexa, where where it's kind of like listening in the background, like the sneaky cousin. And then mm-hmm. the next thing you know is is those ads are appearing. I think the mm-hmm. one that I read was all of a sudden phone calls have been made and messages have been sent without any question because Alexa had just been listening to the the whole thing or whatever. But and there's been people who had been had been saying that you know conversations have been had about wanting certain items, and the next thing they knew on their Amazon wall, those items just happened to have shown up. So mm. I suppose there's those there's those. So when you go back to saying those gross margin things, there's mm-hmm. a possibility that those silent listening mm-hmm. things could in some way be used to benefit us, but not necessarily in an active search, but in a more sure. passive search, couldn't they? Sure. I, I don't doubt the possibility of that for a single second. I do think, uh, I do feel pretty strongly that companies like Amazon are probably going to be cautious and careful or probably should be cautious and careful about their privacy standards and when they're listening and when they're not. Uh, I know that you know, uh, I've got several Alexa devices around my home and I, I, I'm pretty sure, pretty confident and comfortable with the fact that she only does things I ask her to when I use the wake word, but I'm not an idiot to, you know, to think for a second that, um, that she might be listening, <laughs> that Amazon might be listening when I'm not using the wake word and just not letting me know. Um, there, there, it, there's an interesting dichotomy here of, when people and we're getting a little into philosophy, but where people give up some freedom in exchange for some convenience. Um, yeah. And that's just a kind of a part of that it has to be a work. balance, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think a lot of people have different lines where they'd be willing to draw the mm. line and say, I actually don't mind Alexa listening all day, so long as she turns the lights on and off or adjust my AC when I tell her to, um, <laughs> you know, but, but I think in, in relation to this conversation, you bring up yeah. a really good subject. Amazon is all right. So when we're talking about competitors to Google for a very long time, that was Yahoo and that was Bing, Microsoft or MSN prior to that. And, uh, for a long time, those were the search engines that competed with Google and they've kind of gone by the wayside in regards to user engagement and involvement where we don't look at them as, as much as competitors anymore. Nowadays, we look at Amazon as a direct competitor to Google because, uh, Amazon Jeff Bezos understands the value of being squarely focused on transactional search, which is very powerful. He knows that people search something with a strong transactional intent, and he wants to own that search volume. And so that's what he's trying to steal from Google right now. And and, and Amazon's doing a very good job of that. Alexa is a great example of an interface tool to do that. Hi guys, so just before we jump over to the second part of the show, I wanted to let you know that Success IQ Alliance, my membership program, will be entering its pilot phase shortly. And I'm looking for a group of people that would like to join me during this phase at the very beginning of the whole process. If you're interested and would like to find out more information, then please email me at info at jeffnicholson.co.uk. Places are limited, but it would be lovely to see you there. Speak soon. Wishing you the greatest success and have an awesome week. So this is an opportunity where I'm going to put you on the hot seat, ask you a set of questions. I ask every guest who appears on the show. And the first question is, how much time a week do you spend on self-development? I love that question a lot. I, I think I spend 
a significant portion compared to a lot of people. And I'm not bragging. It's not a necessarily a point of pride for me. It's actually a point of probably obsessive compulsiveness. Um, but uh, I do spend quite a bit of, of time per week on self-development. Um, I'm currently uh, or recently I've been playing with intermittent fasting uh, quite a bit. And something I've been doing with that is is uh, really focusing on taking in green juice, uh, juice full of vitamins and minerals, and then uh, some kind of really good cold brew coffee every day just to get my day started. And that was a, a thing that I did for a little while for self-development. Find a lot of joy in that. Lately, I've been really working a lot on understanding a lot of uh, financial components to growing and scaling an agency so that I can build stronger roadmaps, better timelines and everything for our agency, uh, things like that. And then also I'm deeply involved in, uh, in my church. And so I, I get a lot of, uh, get a lot of self-development work done there just by participating with other people like myself who, uh, as we say, iron sharpens iron. And so being around that actually helps a lot. So I, I'd say a good, probably quarter of my awake time is spent on some, some form of self-development every week. Yeah. I, lo- I like that. Cause um, I know I did, I did juicing for 90, yeah, 90 days. Um, oh, awesome. And I did feel good. I, I couldn't sustain it because um, mm-hmm. we had a family party and that just completely ruined the whole momentum <laughs> of it. Um, sure. And but I did I did notice that a lot of the a lot of the a lot of stuff disappeared. But a lot of health issues disappeared. Right. And as soon as I went back to normal eating, they came back, which is really interesting. And right. one of the ones I'm expect uh, experimenting with at the minute is. I don't know whether you. I'm sure you will have it in the U.S. It's called Huel. It's a it's a food replacement. So I can't mm, stand yeah. meal planning. Yeah. Like it just screws everything up. I just want to eat and go. I can't be bothered with planning food. Doesn't <laughs> it's not exactly the greatest thing when you're in a board meeting and you're there with a shake or something like yeah. that. But um, I, I'm experimenting that for the next couple of months, um, and I love that. So we'll see how that works but i think i think that part that i class that as part of my development so it's just to see you know not just the head but it's the sort of the spirit mind and body kind of thing absolutely so you know that's a cool thing so i I like that i like that okay question number two what is your favorite personal development book and why uh favorite personal development book ever hands down i would say awaken the giant within by anthony robbins or tony robbins um, Awaken the Giant Within was fantastic. My father recommended that to me when I was younger and I just took it, put it on my shelf because it was way too thick of a book and it was at an age where I didn't care about that kind of thing. And then I got into probably 19, 20 years old, something like that. I picked it back up one day, started reading it and was just immediately hooked and uh, and tore through it and started putting together life goals and started working on all kinds of things, studied all kinds of, like he snuck so many good philosophies for life and, and thinking and acting and having habits and productivity into that book. And it really helped me a lot. A a second, I know you only asked for one, but a second would probably be the most common answer you likely get, which is the four hour work week. Um, that one helped me a lot as well. It was so good. So have you read his new ones, the Tula Titans and, uh, what's the other one? Tribe of mentors. It's so funny. I think, uh, so I've read everything except for, uh, the latest one, the tools of Titans, but I, but I have it, I have it sitting on my shelf at home. I bought it for notoriety. I know, I know I will eventually <laughs> read it. Um, well, even if you don't, if you ever have like a door, you need to keep open. That big. 
It's going to be fine to do that. I'm sure he multi... Being Tim Ferriss, he's probably thought long-term strategy. And someone's going to be able to use it for, like, doors and all sorts later on in life. Yeah, exactly. And jack up your car or something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and and three generations cars the size of it. It's massive. (laughs) Okay, next question is, what is your favorite app? Ah, my favorite app. Um... That's a really good question. Uh, so we do a lot of contracts with our company. Um, we send and sign a whole lot of proposals and contracts. And we've been using PandaDoc uh, like crazy for a while now. I am not a, an affiliate. I do not get paid to promote them. They are not a client of ours. I want them to be a client of ours. So if anyone there is listening, let me know. But uh, I do love that tool so much. Um, we, we use that for business all the time. Uh, outside of business, um, in my personal life and just managing my personal tasks as well as my business tasks, everything that I manage, I use a, an app called to do the number two and then the letters D O to do. Uh, it's a really good, just kind of task management application. I have everything broken out by subject and all that stuff. So I love it. Really good apps. Excellent. Cool. The uh, question number four is what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? Hmm. Oh, it's tough because I'm still learning right now and I've made so many business mistakes. Um, I would say probably um, not not relying on other people or or reaching out and establishing a group of, you know, a team, building a team sooner, not building a team sooner. There we go. Um, I was kind of a lone wolf doing consulting for quite a while, and that was awesome. It taught me a lot about running my own little consulting business and everything. But I look back and I realize, like, we're making mistakes and learning lessons right now that I feel like I shouldn't be learning and making right now, like I should have made these years ago. But it was because I never had a team before, and I never went through that stuff earlier on. So uh, I, I would say to anyone building a business right now, find people who are strong where you are weak and do your best to trust them and hand over the reins. Uh, It's going to be difficult for them to take those reins from you because nobody wants to go to the CEO of a company or the owner of a company and say, give me control over this. No one's going to do that. So you're going to have to voluntarily say, not only am I entrusting this to you, but I literally want to look the other way and let you run this. So please take over, you know, and, and you'll be surprised what people can do for you. I like that one. I remember years ago, I was watching a program over here in the UK, and it was they interviewed um, big company uh, CEOs. And they were talking about, you know, when when it's about letting go, and I suppose it's part of it, you know, it's the ego letting go and learning to let go of control and all of those sort of things. And he was talking about um, he didn't he, he didn't go to certain management level meetings. And one of them specifically was marketing, and the interviewers was kind of like going, "Yeah, why don't why don't you do that? You know, it doesn't. Does it? Do you not think it shows the wrong thing that the the CEO doesn't go to those meetings?" And he went, "Well, why do you think I employ a director of marketing? Right, I'm employing a director of marketing because." He's supposed to be better at me than at, the, at marketing than I am, or else right. I might as well be doing that. Right. It, it's letting go of that stuff, so you you give them the chance, so you can go and concentrate on the stuff that you're good at, and Absolutely. then you can then manage them. And it's it's a hard lesson to learn, though, as well. 
It is, it is. But but you'll find that people take so much pride in their job when they're given ownership in it. You know, so many companies hire people and they say, I want you to take ownership in this role. But ownership is not something that you take. It's something that you're granted. Ownership is something that you are handed by other people who say, yes, you are the owner of that thing because you're powerful at it. So you as the owner of the company, for anyone at your company to take ownership in something, you have to hand it to them and say, look, I hired you because I believe in you. I trust you. I want you to run this. I believe you can better than me. And you'd be shocked at how well that lights their fire and gets them going on it. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, question number five. What are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Uh, I've got a very specific situation with that because my whole company is remote. So uh, all of my employees, our whole team, we're spread out throughout the country and sometimes throughout the world because our employees travel around the world while they work. And, uh, and so really, you can work from anywhere. Because of that, I can work from home every day if I want. I have a really nice home office I've set up. It's completely dedicated to my business. I love it. But uh, I still have a laundry room down the hall and the buzzer buzzes when the when the clothes are dry. The doorbell rings when the UPS man's dropping something off or the dogs are barking at the lawnmowers going by. And so the distractions at home make it really difficult for me. And that took a while for me to learn because I fought tooth and nail to have a business where I could work from home or anywhere. So now what I find myself doing is lumping together work that has to be done in a focused environment and then taking that to an outside place where I have an office uh, downtown. It's a, a little co-working space. I rent very cheap rate every month. And then I go and I sit there and I put in my headphones and nothing will distract me. I get to work and focus on my business. So really separating out the focus work from the rest of my life is important for me because at the end of the day, I love closing my laptop. I love closing out of all my applications, turning everything off and saying, ah, I'm done with work. Like nothing gets me more excited than to be able to do that. But I still love my work. So I've, I've got to be able to separate them in order to actually be, be good at balancing them. Yeah, and it's that, it's that prioritizing, isn't it? It's being able to block, block them that time off and be very um... – What's the word I'm looking for? Be be uh, disciplined to be able to go, okay, I'm doing this now and I'm going off and I'm going to do my focus time because then you can give yourself your reward and going, okay, now it's done and now I'm going to chill and just run slow motion down the sandy beach. Right. Which I'm sure that's what you do do. Where you <laughs> Every live. single everyone, day sunset. Yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone runs slow motion down that beach. That's what they That's do. Right. They even they even right. have the, the music playing in slow motion as well. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I know. I, I know what you get up to. I know. Okay. Yeah. Question, number <laughs> Question number six is, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Oh, man. Um, study some financial intelligence. Uh, there's a book called Financial Intelligence for Entrepreneurs. Very, very useful book. Um, that's a fantastic book. And, and I say that uh, knowing at the back of my mind that not everyone is going to have a weakness in, in financial structures and things like that, like I did. Uh, I, I came into the fold with very very poor understanding of finance and economics and things like that, and have kind of had to learn through the trial by fire how all that works. Um, but that's one thing I would do. Uh, I'd, 
I say that secondary to the thing I already said earlier, which is uh, lean on other people and trust in other people. So for me, I do have a financial team of people around me. I am running this this ship from the helm, but I have a, a team of financial people around me that I reach out to and I lean on for financial advice all the time. Am I am I thinking through this pricing properly? Am I looking at gross profit margins accurately? Do I know what this means and how do I how do I assess value to a client so that I can be sure that we're delivering all on value instead of just on hours we're working, things like that. So uh, leaning on other people is is critical for that. Uh, but but also I think just understanding financial intelligence is critical as a young entrepreneur. Yeah, brilliant, absolutely. Okay, question number seven: What is your definition of success? Um, that's a funny question for me because I got I got really used to failure at a very young age. I did really poorly in school, and it was um, it was a very painful experience for me. Uh, you know, I can laugh about a lot of things that happened a long time ago. I can't really laugh about that because I know other people are going through it right now, and I don't I don't want that to be the case. It was painful for me, um, but looking back, what I learned over over time is now. My business either makes money or we learn lessons. Those are the two outcomes. We make money or we learn lessons. Now, it hurts when we don't make money. It hurts when we learn lessons. Um, but it also hurts sometimes when we make money, but we didn't learn a lesson. And so what's funny is even when we fail at making money, we're successful at learning a lesson. And I had a call with one of our, one of our uh, employees today about a situation where we are um, we are failing in one little instance and we aren't learning a lesson about it. And that frustrates me. And she couldn't agree more. She said, absolutely. We need to have some feedback loop about that so that we can at least figure out why the failure happened. Even if we couldn't have done anything about it in the first place, it's good to know that we couldn't have done anything about it. So we don't keep going back there. Um, and so uh, I think my definition of success is funny. It is, it is not necessarily making money. It is having the outcome you desired or learning if you didn't. So that's really my definition of success. Fantastic. The, the, one of the question, reasons why I ask this is because I, I'm, I always find through, through my experience over the last 10 years of doing this is the people that are pursuing someone else's version, uh, majority of the time, not every time, but the majority of the time, they're stressed out and they're unhappy. Because right. they're they're doing something that's they're not doing it because they want to they're doing it because of someone else, so right. it's you know if they're doing a career that mum and dad have said that's what they have to do, quite often is they're not really satisfied with what they're doing or whatever else. If they are if they are pursuing to make money because they want you know the fast cars on the on the drive or anything, but that's because they want to satisfy or please their partner and actually they would much prefer the easier life they're not happy because they're doing it for someone else and right. the reason why i ask that is is because generally the people that i've met when they know as best they can because i think success it means something different to every single person that's why i ask the question and i think is is when they can identify what success means or they can at least identify that it is something different and they are they are pursuing that, mm -hmm. then actually they're moving in the right direction. They can they 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 know they understand that it's not, oh well I'm after what so and so has got because the grass will always be greener on the other side. Right, or, right. You know, and that sort of thing. So the reason why I ask that is because it's very interesting, you know, 
yours is in the 90th episode. It's really interesting how many people, not one really has ever, the, 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 some of the things that they may say may sound the same, but actually how they got there are very, very different. Totally. So it's, and, and that's what I love about that question. And it's, you know, as you said, it's not about, it's for many, many people, it's not about the money. Because when you ask about, well, if you have the money, what does that give you? Then they'll go, oh, well, that gives me that. And let's go, no, okay, so now we're actually getting why you want to be successful. Right, and what success right. means. Money means yeah. jack. Money's yes. just a ways to the means to give you a result or a Absolutely. resource to give you something. And that's the reason why I love asking that question. And yeah. it's one of the reasons why the podcast, and for me, it's Success IQ, because it's when you understand why you are pursuing success, whatever mm. that means to you or the audience or whatever else, then you're on the right road. Yes, when, I couldn't when, agree with you more. You hit on a lot of really good subjects there. I think I would I would actually like to kind of redefine uh, my take on success uh, based on something that you said there and it jogging a memory that I had a really good conversation with someone about how, you know, uh, you mentioned that money is a means to an end there. I couldn't agree more. And people get so drawn to the means that they don't think about the end and that the end may not require the means be money actually. Um, and there may be a smarter, easier, faster way to get it, uh, to get to that end that you're after. And then suddenly money is this icing on the cake. You can make it. You don't have to have it. It's all right. You've got the, absolutely. Well, I um, think is as well as, is if you, if you stop and think if, and the reason why I got, you know, the, the whole reason I got into this industry that I'm, that I do now is because I literally thought that my life was over. So when I look at it and I go, and not once for a second was I in regret for not making enough. Money yeah. never came into the equation. Yeah. And so many people, I mean, don't get me wrong, money will make life a little bit easier. It removes a lot of stress from things. I'm not naive or stupid to do that. I understand that. But if you are just pursuing that and you are not stopping and you are not looking at the your loved ones around you on you are not, you know, enjoying what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis or you are not stopping and being more aware of what's going on, then, you know, ultimately we want to be happy and fulfilled. Absolutely. And I think, and, and I think that's part of the, the realisation is don't discover that when you're 85 years old. Or right, when, yeah. You know, because then, you know, it's it's sad. You still could have a great another 10 years, whatever, but sure. it's... It's a long, it's a long time to be pursuing somebody else's vision. It is, it is. You know? And I, I, I really like your whole take on that. I think discovering your life's purpose and getting that feeling like you are achieving it, that fulfillment of working towards your life's purpose, even if it's something, even if it's a mountain that you never fully summit, just climbing that mountain, knowing that you're on the right mountain, knowing that you're working towards the right purpose, the right goal. Uh, I think that that is a form of success. You know, my dad, my dad has this deep adoration for fishing. And I can't tell you how many times he has walked out of the ocean because he likes fishing up to his chest deep in the water out of the ocean. I can't tell you how many times he has walked out of the ocean without a catch and a big grin on his face, just had the best time fishing all day. He enjoys 
fishing. He doesn't need to catch fish, you know, and I love that about him. That's one of those things that he, he's a success in my mind because of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Number eight is, do you have any type of morning routine that you, that helps you really get prepped for the, for the day ahead? My favorite one, and I hate it for a couple of seconds, but it is so good. And it, it makes me laugh every day when I wake up and I've really got to get going and I need that jolt of energy. I have a swimming pool outside my back door and this is especially fun in the winter. Uh, but uh, I wake up in the morning and I go running straight out and I dive in that pool and then I jump out freezing and I get in my shower and I get started. I don't need a cup of coffee when I do that. I'm immediately awake. And so uh, that's part of my morning routine that's such a valuable thing to me. When I was trying to buy a house, I was set on getting a swimming pool and everyone told me, you're not going to use that swimming pool like you think you would. I use it almost every single day for that one few seconds and it's extremely valuable to me. So that's that's I'm, my morning routine. I'm beginning to think there's weird people who live in florida because i interviewed a guy um <laughs> who lives in miami who um who does the cold plunge in the morning um, there's something to, get... to it jeff <laughs> well yeah because tony robbins does it um there's he a does. thing on netflix um oh, i can't remember i'm not your guru i think it is which is a really yes. good program um yeah. and he does this submerge in ice cold water or mm -hmm. it looks bloody cold whatever it is yes um but it's um and i think it is it does it is supposed to vitalize you i have a glass of cold water i don't know if that counts but you know i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use that one but yeah so you know but then again if i live where you did i mean i just have to go outside it's that cold every day so i mean it's you know it's just one of those things right. it's just one of those things yeah <laughs> i never did that when i grew up in north georgia where it's cold all the time so i know what you mean yeah okay so now it's the life lesson question so you get to pick a number between one and 50 whatever number that lands on we see what that life lesson is and then we have that as the final discussion point I'm really interested to know what number 36 says. Okay, number 36 is be wary of asking for opinions. So this one is always, I'm sure you've come to this thing as well, is, is when people go, can I have your opinion on this? And then when you give your opinion, they really don't like it. Um, mm -hmm. Don't. Uh, the rule really is, is don't ask for opinions if you don't want the truth. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and filter you know. whatever anyone says, even if they say it's their opinion or not, filter whatever they say through their own opinion. They chose a certain set of words to convey that thought. That was their opinion on which words to choose. So even if the thought is true, the way they presented it is still part of their opinion. And you, you, it's difficult to separate those. Absolutely. So the Yeah. So you've got one, don't ask for someone's opinion if you don't want feedback on it, because... The, the fact that you've asked for someone's opinion is you're opening the door to, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, constructive criticism or constructive right. feedback, should I say. Um, the other one is be wary of the feedback because sometimes it's led by um, jealousy, ego, and everything mm -hmm. else. Right. Um, so you've got to, as you say, is you've got to take it through your own filter Take mm -hmm. what you like about it and how it can help you develop and grow and everything else, and then dump the rest of the stuff and don't revisit it. Um, exactly. 
but you know and it's just something that i i kind of like i'm i'm always amazed at people when they go and ask for opinions and then when you give them their opinions they're like i didn't really want the truth well (laughs) you know not necessarily the truth but your version of the truth or their version of the truth they can like just you know when you ask for someone's opinion you're asking for them to basically give you some criticism of feedback i think the I think the most dangerous time to give your honest opinion is when your wife or girlfriend is getting dressed and she starts asking questions about the way she, you know, does this look good? Does it, should I wear this? Which one of these is, you know, that's where you're, that's where you ch- choose your battles, my friend, and, and, and tread wisely. I would, I would, <laughs> I would add to that one whenever they ask for their opinion. <laughs> I, just, right. I would just be very, very motive. careful. Absolutely. Right. I'd be, I would very team of lawyers. I'd be yep. very careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. no, but I think uh, I think it is a good idea, though, to in in earnest and with a good circle of people that you trust and that you can lean on and that you know will be honest with you to ask them for constructive criticism uh, when when the time is right and you are emotionally ready to hear what might be very uncomfortable. Um, and, and you're ready to make some changes. So that was something that I did last year. I ran into a situation where I realized that I was a I was a charging bull, and I was getting a lot done, and I had a lot of things going on. But I realized, you know what? I might be really missing something. I might have some blind spots that I don't even know about. And I'd like to I'd like to have somebody chime in. So I asked my parents. I asked a couple of my closest friends. You know, my brother, uh, my pastor, and a couple of cousins. I just all asked all of them, I would really like some constructive criticism about my life, something that I could do to be more effective at either business or communicating or my relationships or, or be better um, because I'm, I'm genuinely trying to make some personal changes and I am ready to hear what you've got. Please be honest with me. Don't hold back. Everyone was very nice and very loving, but I got some really good constructive criticism during that time and it was very helpful for me. Um, so I, I would recommend doing that, but I think again, with this life lesson, uh, unsolicited opinions flying around left and right, you could just kind of, you know, those are a dime a dozen. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. And absolutely. And as you say is, is, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that around you, you've got a good support structure and mm-hmm. that, that trusted inner circle, you, you know, those people who love and care about you and want the best for you are going to are going to be there to give you that honest feedback right it, when you ask for it um and that's that's they're that they're their opinions that you will value the most and they're mm. the ones that you you know as you did as when and i'm the same with my mastermind group i'm the same with my my wife and my kids if if there's something i'm thinking of doing if there's a business challenge or something i'll go to my mastermind groups and go look this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And right. sometimes what I hear, it's like, wow, that's stung. But I'm grateful mm-hmm. that they've that they've said it to them because I know that they're doing it because they care, mm-hmm. not because of anything else. And you know, like when when if you've got a new product and you want feedback from it, you launch it to a safe environment first. But at the same time, sometimes your support structure. It's not always the friend, your friends that are the best ones to give you feedback. Because sometimes your friends give you, should we say, they, they, they give you feedback based on how you they think you want to hear it rather mm-hmm. than necessarily the truth. 
So right. what you want to make sure is, is you're getting the honest feedback from from a from a good place that's going to help you grow, not just to sort of make you feel okay. And right. That's not going to sort of keep you stagnant and keep you in the wrong place. I love the idea of mastermind groups. Um, and I was in one fairly recently that kind of dissolved because we were coming from hours away to try to meet and it was very difficult. And, but, uh, it was a really good group because the whole idea was, look, it was, it was, first of all, it was a group of men because we wanted to discuss some very male topics in that group and, and issues, but it had a lot to do with running our businesses as well. And we were very serious about saying, look, we're going to constructively openly criticize each other. And it's out of love and a genuine desire to have it done to us as well so that we can all grow as a group. And so that was some of the most honest communication I've ever had in a group of guys. And it was so helpful for me. I took home a lot of, uh, a lot of good value from that. So I recommend, I recommend people get in mastermind groups. Cool. Cool. So the floor is now yours, sir, for us to find out more about you. How can we, how can we get you on social media? Tell us a little bit more about your business. The, um, please, the, sure. the, just take it away. I wish your name yeah. was Sam. That would have been class. <laughs> take it away, Jeremiah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so to find out more about me, uh, you can definitely check out our website, simpletiger.com. That's the name of our agency. And uh, I've got a public profile on there. I've uh, been featured on a lot of podcasts and a lot of articles uh, on Forbes and throughout the web. Uh, on on building our agency and doing SEO and going remote as a business, um, our management strategies using kind of a a pretty open management strategy, and then uh, using a results only work environment so my team doesn't have schedules and uh, uh, you know they don't have to clock in and clock out or anything like that. So it's uh, it's quite a quite a disruptive model that we put together. It's not always fun and games. It's actually a lot of hard work uh, sometimes. But regardless, we've we've touched on a bunch of interesting things about how to build an agency so you can find out more about me on simple tiger uh, as well as uh, twitter so uh, twitter.com forward slash jeremiah c smith uh, i got my whole name on there so people can steal my identity and everything but uh, you can follow me on twitter learn a little bit more about what i think and ask me questions hit me up directly and if uh, if you're running a business and you need some help with search engine optimization uh, you'd like to figure out what your you know roi uh, could be from an seo project you'd like to have us estimate that for you we've got a calculator and we can put that together so definitely get in touch with us and we'd be happy to help you out with it so that's pretty much all i've got to add cool jeremiah it's been an absolute privilege speaking to you and um just want to say finally just wishing you the greatest success thank you so much jeff i really appreciate it i love this uh this podcast i love your show and i'm definitely going to promote it to to everyone uh that i i talk to because i got a lot of people who are following me who are interested to know more about some of the exact same stuff that you're asking a lot of uh, a lot of people on your show so thanks thank you so much for having me it's been an honor and a, a pleasure Hey guys, so first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening and I really do appreciate the support. If you'd like to know more about me, my services and how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. The links are in the show notes below. I would also like to invite you to join my growing community on Facebook. All you need to do is search for Kick Mediocrity or Jeff Nicholson UK and you will find the information that is required to join this growing community of like-minded people. 
You can tune in and listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show and have time, please leave a rating and review and it really does help me grow the show and make the impact I am aspiring to with the show. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week and take care.